Good morning again. If you would, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. We're going to spend a lot of time in the Gospel of John today, so... While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What is truth? That is the question that Pilate asked to Jesus at his trial, at his mockery of a trial that was devoid of most truthful statements, was full of lies. And I want us to answer this question this morning because although it was asked over 2,000 years ago, it's a question that we should be asking ourselves today. And many people in our culture are asking this question today, but they need help answering it. We live in a culture that is deeply confused about truth. Where does truth come from? What is the standard for truth? Who sets the standard? Who sets the standard for morality, for right and wrong? Does two plus two equal four? It used to. In our world today, people are not so sure anymore. And what happens when truth becomes relative? Meaning that I can make truth work for me in whatever my present need may be. Or when it becomes subjective to whatever circumstance life throws at me. Whatever lifestyle choice I want to make. It should be no surprise that with all the confusion on this question that we see broken marriages, broken homes, broken relationships, confusion about the most basic things on such a scale that we can't even tell, we can't tell what a man or a woman is. We don't know anymore. The definitions are literally being changed out from under our feet. The things we used to take for granted we can no longer take for granted. People literally believe today that you can change your genetic makeup when you feel like it, to the point where you see uh, there was a news story out recently about how Target is making transgender swimwear. And I'm not going to go into details. You can look that up for yourself if you don't know what I'm talking about. But this is the kind of confusion that is in our world. A generation ago, people wouldn't be able to listen to the news today and understand half of what's said. There are so many new terms and new thoughts. Things have been changed so much. But we can't trick ourselves into thinking that that problem is just outside of these walls. That problem is creeping into the church as well. The church is struggling to answer this question. Let me share a couple of statistics with us as we get started. This is from the Barna Research website in 2002. So this is February 2002. So this is less than a year after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, from the Barna Group, Americans unanimously denounced the September 11th attacks as a textbook example of evil, suggesting that there is a foundational belief in an absolute standard of right and wrong. Subsequent research, meaning less than a year later, 
has shown that in the aftermath of the attacks, a minority of Americans believes in the existence of absolute moral truth, a minority. So basically what they found was when bad things happen to us, we're willing to believe in absolute truth. That is absolutely wrong, what happened on September 11th. Because it happened to us, right? It hurt us. But when there's a circumstance in our life that we want control of, we're less certain on moral absolutes. Also, they found in in two national surveys conducted by Varna, one among adults and one among teenagers, people were asked if they believe that there are moral absolutes that are unchanging or that moral truth is relative to the circumstances. By a three-to-one margin, 64% versus 22%, adults said truth is always relative to the person and their situation, 64%. The perspective was even more lopsided among teenagers, 83% of whom said moral truth depends on the circumstances. Only 6% of whom said moral truth is absolute. 6%. And I got these next statistics off of Impact 360's website from an article they posted um, along with the Barna Group. They wanted to do a survey, a similar survey, and they wanted to start off with what they thought was an easy question. Is lying morally wrong? They thought they would start there, laying the groundwork. And what they discovered, now this, this survey really focused on Generation Z. And depending on where you look, that ranges from about those born in 1995 to about 2015, depending on who you ask. There's, it varies. So as far as Generation Z goes, only 34% or one-third of Gen Z could affirm, could affirm the statement that lying is morally wrong wrong. That's not a good number. So if you back up to the elders generation, the silent generation that came before the baby boomers, the number was 61%. When it came to boomers, 54% could agree with the the statement that lying is morally wrong. When it came to generation X, 50% could agree to that statement. Millennials, 42%. Gen Z, 34%. So clearly there is something, it's not just Gen Z, there is something wrong in our culture. If a generation doesn't think moral and spiritual truth exists, then the gospel will not make sense to them. Why do I need Jesus if I can change the standard of truth? I don't need him. And this isn't a new problem, right? Even in the ancient world, this question was being asked. So let's look at our text today and get into it. So Pilate, this is at the trial of Jesus before he is crucified. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did, or did others say it about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Remember, Peter tried to do that. He tried to do just that. He tried to fight for Jesus, and Jesus told him to put his sword away. His kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? 
after this, he said, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Interesting statement. So let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him once more to help us through this text, to lead us. Father, God, help us to behold you. Help us to behold your glory and to fill your earth, fill the earth with your glory. We need you to increase as we decrease. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts along with your word as we read it to change us. Your word is truth, Father. Sanctify us in the truth, we pray. Amen. So this is an ancient question and a present question. So how does how the world views truth? How does the world view truth? Right? The world today has much the same attitude that Pilate had. Cynical. You can hear hear it in his voice. I know it's it's text, so you have to be careful doing that, but you could you can hear it. He's he's defending himself too. He's got to make a decision about Jesus. And he has to defend himself because he knows he fears the crowds. So he throws it back at Jesus. What is truth? There's no way to know, right? We have an issue as from the beginning of time about this, this issue on truth. And why is truth such a difficult question for us? Was it meant to be a difficult question? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things and he called his creation good. The creator of all things set the initial standards for truth, for right and wrong. If you are the maker and creator of everything, then you're setting all the standards. God is outside of time and space. He is not a part of this creation. He is above it. He is outside of it. He set all the standards and rules, all the physics, all the morality that set the world in motion. And he keeps it going. And then the first humans come along. Adam had one rule in all of creation from God. One rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, you will surely die. That's it. There was perfect harmony in the world for a short time. And then what happens? God's truthfulness is challenged. The serpent says to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say that you can't eat of that tree? Did he really say that you'll die if you do? Do you really think you can trust God? That's what he's asking. And instead of trusting their creator, Adam and Eve began to doubt. They began to doubt God's goodness. They began to doubt his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his love for them. And in committing the first sin, breaking the one rule they had, they ushered in the curse. And we are still feeling the effects of sin in our world to this day. And that's where our, that's where our confusion comes from. And you can see in the world around us, people don't seem to really care about God. People are literally, I don't recommend spending too much time watching the news, but it, it is just, people are, are dying all around us in our personal lives. Horrible things are happening all around us, all over the world. And yet, so many of us just go along as if nothing out of the ordinary is happening. 
as if these people have not died and left the world, and what's become of them, right? The world's mindset is like, like Jesus said in the parable in Luke chapter 12, the, man, the rich man in the parable says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And so it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That is the world around us, laying up treasures for themselves. And, and if we're not careful, we do the very same thing. People today largely don't care about God, right? We've been learning in our memory verses. This is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. That is the hard truth. That is reality. We can eat, drink, and be merry, and we can deceive ourselves. We can pretend all we want to, but God is not mocked. He's not fooled. According to the world's truth, you live your best life now. You live your best life now, and you expect God to just accept it as you slide on in <laughs> at the end of your life, right? That's what, that's what we do so often. God wants me to be happy, right? Right. God wants me to be happy. God wants, God doesn't want me in this hard relationship. Sure, I married this person and, and I made a commitment, but God doesn't want me to be this miserable, does he? God doesn't want my life to be hard. I, I could cheat a little bit at home, at work. I can do whatever I need to do to get by. I need to make a little extra money. T times are tough. I can cheat my employer. I can cheat on my taxes. Uh, just a little bit to get ahead, right? This is my best life. You know, God wants me to be happy. And that's what the world tells itself. And if we're not careful, that is the same mindset that we can fall into. We were made to know God and enjoy him, right? We were made to worship God. That is the only place we're going to find ultimate satisfaction. And here in America especially, we run ourselves ragged pursuing the American dream with no, absolutely no respect for God. And why, why do people do this? Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. We should all be familiar with this verse, but it's, it's always worth the reminder. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. They suppressed the truth. 
right? They don't honor God as he ought to be honored. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And the world says, no, I'll take that on myself. I'll receive the glory and the honor and the power. They deny their creator. They suppress the truth, which has clearly been shown to them through the things that have been made. <clears throat> but this is a scary question. If the world isn't listening to God's voice, whose voice are they listening to? Whose voice is driving them? They would tell you that it's their own voice, that they blaze their own trail, that they make their own decisions. But if you look at John chapter 8, verse 44, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden, they didn't just start listening to their own voices. They, listened, they chose to listen to another voice. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the father of lies. It's not just any voice that the world is listening to that's driving them. And we should think long and hard before we decide that we're going to let the world's viewpoints influence us as the church. Right? And that strong language Jesus is using, it comes down to this. Are we going to listen to God's voice? Are we going to listen to Satan's voice? There's only two options. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Jesus came so that we can have life, abundant life. Those are the only two voices to choose from. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's two voices. But only one of them allows us to recognize the glory of Jesus Christ. So the next question is, okay, if Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers, then has God left us without any means of discovering the truth? Is there any way for us to know the truth? Or was it lost forever in the Garden of Eden when sin came? Right. How God's word reveals truth. The Bible exists so that we can know God, so that we can worship him rightly, not not just worshiping in spirit, but in spirit and truth. The Lord tells us in Paul's letter to the Romans that creation itself testifies to God's existence and his divine power. But it's the Bible that reveals God to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we say that the Bible is the inspired word of God. But does the Bible claim that for itself? Or is that just something we have made up? Uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, please. Verse 1, if you've got a bookmark, you can keep it there because we're going to come back to it a few times. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God did not leave his people to 
wander about in the darkness, groping for the truth. God has revealed his word to the prophets. The prophets recorded those words. God speaks to his prophets, and then the prophets speak to the people. And and we see the need for this set up in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Starting in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. And it is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more lest I die. God's glory had rested on the mountain and it terrified them, as it should. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So notice that the words of the prophets are going to be God's words that he commands. And I found it really interesting that as I was typing this up into the Word document, Word, Microsoft Word very helpfully tried to change that word command to the word commend. God does not commend. <laughs> he commands. God's word is authoritative. Meaning that they carry the weight and authority and truthfulness of God himself. God's word is not optional for us. Now this particular prophecy will find its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Spoiler alert. But it does have an immediate context where it sets up the office of of prophet. The people needed somebody to speak between them and and the holy God. And that was the prophets. God had spoken through Abraham and Noah and, and some others along the way. But here he's fully, kind of more fully developing this office. And so not only is God going to speak through the prophets, that's one thing. But he's also going to guard against false prophets. If you got true prophets speaking the word of God, we know the father of lies is out there. Right? So we know there's going to be false prophets out there. So is God going to preserve his true word? So if you continue on in the same chapter of Deuteronomy, verse uh, 20, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word has, uh, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of of the Lord, if that word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. All right, so God is going to preserve his word, right? And do we see that happen? We can look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 30. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, sent to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of Nehalem, because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalem and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among this people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord. For he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. God takes his truthfulness, truthfulness of his word, his reputation very seriously. He will not let that go unpunished. 
But God knows that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Like he knows that we are easily deceived. We are easily tricked. Right? So he ensured that his true word would not get lost, would not be watered down. Jesus says in John chapter 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Right? That's what Jesus is praying before he's arrested. And how does the word of God sanctify us? The Holy Spirit speaks in and through the word as we read it. As we read the scripture, the spirit works in conjunction with the word. And it brings it to life in our hearts. It makes it real to us. We can hear the truthfulness of it. So you can have great confidence in the word of God because God himself stands behind it. God himself, the creator of truth, preserved the truth for his own purposes of redemption in Jesus Christ. How Jesus is the revelation of the truth. Right? That's what he said. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. If you want to know what truth is, you have to go to God's word. You have to get to know the Bible because it reveals the person of Jesus Christ. Looking back at Hebrews again, chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. God spoke to us through the prophets, preserved his word, but now he speaks to us through his son, through Jesus Christ. How does Jesus reveal the truth? All things, for in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were created through him. Not anything, there was nothing created that was not created through Christ, right? The entire world, all of creation was created through Jesus Christ. So think about this for a minute. If you buy a new car, if you buy a TV, a printer for your computer, they all come with something, an instruction manual. Right? And of course, as guys, we like to throw those away as soon as we can, right? get rid of the instructions. But somewhere out there, a really smart person designed this item, and they thought, I'm going to need to tell the rest of you how to work it, how it works, right? That's a really simple illustration. Everything was made through Jesus. There was nothing made that wasn't made through Jesus, right? So who better to know how the world works and what the truth is than Jesus himself? Colossians 1.16 says this. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Are you a king, Jesus? 
Are you a king? What is truth? It's standing in front of him, staring him in the face. Everything is Christ's. This governorship, this authority that Pilate's clinging to is desperate to try to not lose it because he's worried about the Jews rioting and what Caesar's going to think about that. And he's worried about his own reputation and his own career. All of that, all that authority, the authority of Caesar himself, all of that belongs to Christ. Jesus even tells Pilate, you don't have any authority except what is given to you from above. He tells him that in chapter 19. And I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 13 to 16. I highly recommend reading this on your own later because if you can come away unscathed from these verses, you need to wake up. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 to 16. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, dwells in unapproachable light. Right? And that's what the Jews were hoping that Pilate was afraid of. That he would see Jesus as a threat, as a challenge to Rome. And that's what they used to have him to bring him to this travesty of of a trial, this travesty of justice. They knew they could manipulate Pilate. They knew they could manipulate the truth if he was perceived as a threat. What an, what an image of divine glory that, it, that he dwells in unapproachable light. What does light do? It illuminates and exposes all that was hidden. It chases away the darkness and gives hope to those who are seeking rescue. But our God is also a consuming fire. The same light that saves those who cling to it is the same light that will ultimately consume all that is at war with truth. Sin, evil, so-called human wisdom. So what's the point? What do we take away as we walk out this morning? We live in a culture that despises truth. They're fine if you want to dabble in a whole bunch of different truths. They're fine if you even have some favorite truths. Right. But you can't talk about the truth or an ultimate truth that applies to everyone without offending people. That's going to make you very unpopular. And we know why that is, right? We've already looked at that. Because of sin, all of humanity is cursed with these doubts about God, about his goodness, about his faithfulness, about his uh, trustworthiness, about his love. We doubt everything about God. And we think that we know better. We think that we know better than God what's good for us, 
what love is, what truth is, what justice is, we take on God's mantle, right? We take on his authority. We wouldn't say this, but we think, I'm going to fix this for God. He got some things right, but I'm going to try to smooth this over for him. God didn't leave us in this mess, in the, this brokenness, of this confusion, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right, by the scripture. And in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heirs of all things, through whom he has also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The answer to all this confusion is the gospel. It's Jesus himself. And he's doing something interesting here, right? He's standing right in front of Pilate. He's asking him, are you a king? And Jesus says, are you asking for your own sake? Are you asking because you've heard this from other people? And that's the question to us today. It doesn't matter who the person next to you says Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? God gave us the son so that we can know the father and have a relationship with him. John chapter 14, verse 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I'm not leaving you in this situation. I'm coming back for you. He hasn't left us without hope. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And I think Jesus set this up. <laughs> he set this up so, this, so Thomas would say this. You know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? There's only one way back to the truth of who God is, and that's through Jesus Christ. We lost that in the garden, in the fall. We were separated, we were cast out along with Adam and Eve from God's presence. We could no longer be in his holy presence because of the sin that was in us and the sin that was going to be passed down to us today. But Jesus is the way back into God's presence, right? For Christ suffered once for sins. The God, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, right? So that he might bring us to God. But only if, only if you put your faith and trust Repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And maybe you're here today and you've never done that. Maybe you've never put your trust in him. Maybe you've heard about Jesus a lot, 
Maybe you've known some things here and there. Maybe you've never actually repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if that describes you, it's not too late. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's a choice still to be made. A choice to bend the knee to Jesus Christ. Right? And you still have time to do that, right? Or maybe you've already trusted in Jesus for your salvation, but you've been ignoring him lately. Maybe you've allowed sin to creep into your life. Maybe you've traded in your first love for a love of sin. Jesus is calling out to you too, whether your faith is lukewarm or red hot. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts. Jesus is calling out. He's standing there saying, what do you say about me? He was asking you the question, what is truth? What do you say about me? And he's saying, don't harden your heart. There's time. Time to call out to him for the first time or time to call out and and say, I have wandered far from my first love. Looking at John chapter 10, verse 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That is the father of lies. Right? Satan wants to sneak in over the top of the wall, steal, kill, and destroy. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. That's what Jesus told Pilate. Those who are of the truth hear my voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And then in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My own hear the voice of truth and they recognize it. Amongst all the cacophony of all the voices that are out there clamoring for our attention, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Right. We, cannot, we can't walk out of here thinking that we have to do this on our own. We don't do this on our own. We don't earn our way to God. We don't try really hard. Right, to, to, I'll try really hard to be good. I'll try really hard to put my faith in Christ. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to God's holiness. Right? The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that he might bring you to God, right? There's a purpose for our salvation, and it is not for us to do what we want to with it. The salvation is not for us to eat, drink, and be merry. It's so that we can be in relationship with God, so that we can glorify God. And one last verse here. I love this verse out of Micah, chapter 7, 8, and 9, because it illustrates the gospel so well. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. 
I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him, right? That's a right response to sin. But the prophet doesn't leave us there. I will bear the indignation of the Lord until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Not against me, for me. That is the beauty of the gospel. We stand in God's holy courtroom, rightly condemned for our rebellion against our creator. Rightly, justly condemned. And Jesus comes in and says, I've paid it all in full. You are free. And those who are set free are free indeed. To become what? Children of God who know the truth, who recognize the truth, and speak the truth to a world that doesn't want to hear it. That is our calling, to glorify God, to behold our God, and as we behold our God, to make his glory known to the world around us. What is truth? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of your holiness, your majesty, your wonder. But mostly we stand in awe of your great mercy and love in the face of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to hear his voice. Help us to hear the truth calling out to us today. And help us to not harden our hearts, Father. Help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness as we get to know you through your word and through your son. And it's in his name we pray.